0: Welcome to Knowing Nature, a podcast about environmental education and public engagement. I'm your host, Victor. In this podcast, I speak with other folks in the environmental sector about their work and perspectives on helping people to engage with the natural world. There's been a little bit of a gap between the last episode and this one, and that's because earlier this year, I started a new full-time job back at the Natural History Museum here in London. Things have settled down a bit in that job now, so hopefully the podcast will be a bit more regular again. In this episode, I'm speaking with Allison Sheen about science communication, and we share interview tips for folks looking to get into science communication or environmental education outside of classroom environments. Hello, Alison. Welcome to Knowing Nature. Uh, How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Uh, Thank you very much for inviting me to join you.
0: So, Alison, you are a science communicator at the Natural History Museum, and because it's your first time on the show, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as as you mentioned, I am uh, one of three, at the moment, science communicators at the museum, and my route into the role is... uh, Not very traditional, I would say. I definitely took the scenic route to, to this particular career. Um, my first degree was in applied psychology. Um, and I specialized a little in criminal psychology and spent a year interning in prisons. It kind of really highlighted to me just how little I knew how ill-equipped as like a 22-year-old I was to be in this environment. So had a massive panic. What am I going to do? Sort of fell into web coding building websites um because that was something yeah. i i learned how to do and in the meantime while i did that i went back to studying again the back to what i always loved which was was natural science science so i started studying part-time thinking oh i'm not really sure where i'm going to go with this but i'm just going to enjoy it while i'm doing it and while i was uh, studying one of my tutors um happened to Say to me you know you explain things really really well you've got a good style of writing you you're a good communicator have you considered a career in science communication um and i said that's a thing what's, <laughs> what's, what's that that's a career <laughs> um so so yeah and then from there i um because i've been working while i was studying i was kind of keeping an eye out for what what careers could i move in if i don't want to go into a research career um, and I spotted a role behind the scenes at the Natural History Museum ah. uh, in the entomology department on a, on a basically a, a taxonomy project, a databasing project that used a lot of the IT skills that I had uh, been developing. Uh, and that led me to to see all of the great outreach work and, and public engagement work that the museum did. And that kind of convinced me, OK, that's, that's where I want to go. <laughs> and then it was a case of get as much experience as possible. I volunteered various places the science museum and natural history museum ended up at the science museum as an explainer and then moved on to an education role uh, at the rf museum before finally getting back to the natural history museum my my spiritual home where I, where I ultimately wanted to end up so a crazy crazy route jumped around all over the place um so yeah i i'm i'm kind of uh, i guess i'm an example of the, the fact that it is entirely possible to change careers <laughs> More than once and, and, make, and make a go of it as well.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's really interesting. It's interesting also how many people at the museums in South Kensington spend some time at some of the other museums yes. in South Kensington.
1: <laughs> absolutely. <laughs>
0: yeah. So if, yeah, so there's your, your one tip for at least if you're, if you're London-based and you're really keen on a job in one of the museums at South Kensington, don't restrict yourself to that one museum. <laughs> Find absolutely. a way into... Any one of them, and eventually you'll will, end up yeah. in, in the one that you want. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> um,
0: that, so the other sort of get-to-know-you question that I like to ask guests is if you've got like a memory or something that sparked your interest in natural history.
1: Several, actually, but one that I always trot out when I'm doing training and things like that is is seeing a grass snake in my back garden in my urban back garden when I was a a child and just having my my mind blown by the fact that we we have snakes in this country you know you're not used you're used to seeing them on on documentaries and things like that but yeah this was quite a sizable snake just slivering its way slowly across my back garden Um, and it made me go and look up what is this thing And, and try and find out about it. Um, So that was one in particular that sort of stood out for me.
0: Um, So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about science communication, like what does a science communicator do?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is a big question, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I always think when I say, you know, uh, I'm a science communicator, and when I think about what that role is, it's actually many, many different roles um, all kind of squished together under the banner of, of kind of, You know, making scientific information more accessible to a to a wider audience. Um, So yeah, in terms of just thinking of it um, from a perspective of how it compares to sort of more more formal education um, with SciCon with my role, um, you know, it's it's definitely broader. The audiences that we're dealing with are are often very very wide, um, quite varied. The, we're not so tied to formal curriculum. It's less about filling heads with information. It's more about building positive relationships with science, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, having those, creating those positive experiences with science. Um, so, yeah, it is. It's a. It is an incredibly varied role. You're, you're uh, yeah, you're you're kind of using all kinds of different skills. You know, you're. You are doing some education, absolutely. You are, um, you know, taking complex information and and distilling it and creating accessible activities around those activities, making that information, you know, clearer and more understandable to a non expert audience. But, um, you know, you can be presenting, you can be uh, facilitating, you can be facilitating dialogue, you can be training um, scientists to, to, do sci you can be scripting you can be scripting workshops you can be uh, writing scripts for short films even you can be creating podcasts there's all kinds of different activities and all kinds of different skills involved in 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 you know doing sci particularly in a big organization like the one that that i work for
0: yeah your team handles quite a a very wide range of very different events there's a lot of writing involved and you're kind of translating language and very technical language Mm -hmm. into something that's more accessible so there's that writing aspect but that is by no means the only part of like so the other thing that you do is you um, organize lots of different events and different types of events Um, so you've talked a bit about training um, scientists in science communication like what does that kind of event look like
1: so um, at the moment, um, we've got one quite broad um, program that we roll out with simply for our scientists, but we, we've also rolled it out externally as well. And it's it's a, a very a broad strokes introduction to science communication. So what exactly it is, why do we do it, how we structure an effective piece of science communication. We look at uh, the importance of messaging, of narrative, of outcomes, different types of learning outcomes, Uh, tips on actually presenting so uh, in-person activities presenting um, having conversations so dialogue how to have an effective conversation a one-to-one interaction even small modules on more specific things like presenting to camera so slightly more specific skills slides and and not overcrowding so (laughs) so how to deliver so it's 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 a broad
0: course you mentioned um being mindful of different outcomes and that's that's something i i think is quite interesting so what do you mean by different outcomes
1: so often when we think of um learning activity we think in terms of the information that we're we're disseminating we think about the we're delivering information and we absolutely are and that's that's one learning outcome people are gonna come away with have learned some facts Mm -hmm. but there are there are many other things that are that you can get out of a particular activity that aren't necessarily informational or fact based. You might be learning a different skill, for example. Um, you might, you know, you might be doing something practical. Right. You might be looking, and uh, when you're developing your your science communication activity, at targeting attitudes and behavior you you know it's it's ambitious but you might be you know one of your learning outcomes for your activity or your event might be that actually you do want to encourage a bit of behavior change in your your audience um one outcome can just be that they've really enjoyed themselves they, they they've had an awful lot of fun and it's been a positive it's been a positive experience with science that's a that's also a valid outcome as well so when we're thinking about our 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 cycle activities um you know as well as thinking about you know the key messages the information that we want to get across we also want to think about the the outcomes you know what what outcomes do we want with that particular activity is it just information based or, or or what else could we what else could we get from get, you know, get, get, give to our audience basically with this activity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I imagine for, um, some institutions also a a potential outcome here is, um, building up a positive relationship with the institution. And so like that might be your primary goal and then science communication, uh, providing an opportunity where people learn something new is, is actually a vehicle for just that positive, relationship to the institution.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, with with some of our broader events, like our, our traditional LATES program, which uh, happens on last Friday of every month, um, you know, that was a big part of, of the outcome of those events was, you know, getting people into the museum and getting them enjoying themselves, um, getting them having a different experience, getting them to, to to want to come back to the museum or to want to engage with us on a more regular basis.
0: So I think that's a lovely uh, tour of the various sides of science communication, which is great. And I think this leads us into the, the actual topic of the episode that we're doing today, which is thinking about getting into the environmental sector, into public engagement in the environment sector, and today we're gonna to talk about some interview tips because they are, as you mentioned, they're they're very specific jobs and they're not the same as in, in other fields, perhaps. Um, so I thought we'd start with some interview basics. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of And the, the first interview basic that I have on my list that I thought we might discuss is um, thinking about why do you want the job? Because they're almost certainly going to ask you the jo- that question. In the interview, or it will be something that you need to include in your initial application. So, do you do you have any tips on like actually answering that question from a science communication perspective?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, almost certainly that's going to be the first question <laughs> that, that you ask. <laughs> um, yeah, for, uh, for a science communicator role, so you're looking for that passion for engaging people with science, for for building for getting building people's positive relationship with science. So, um, you're looking for um I would say be specific when you're answering this question about you know what exactly is it about the role because it's you, you're with this question you're you're not only you know communicating how passionate and how much you want the job, you're also communicating that you understand what the role actually is. Um, so being very specific about what aspects of the role you think appeal to you the most um and 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 play to your strengths, um I would say is quite important. You know, you can. It's an opportunity for you to show that your uh, approach is it aligns with the, the the approach of the institution, with the approach of the team as well. So, so yeah, be as specific as, as you can. And also, I would cover what you would want to get out of the role, what you would hope to achieve in the role as well, what difference you would like to make. That's definitely something I would want to to see brought out in that the answer to that question.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you you made a really good point there about the way in which you align with the organization's goal and also their approach. Yes. I imagine would be very important. So different different um, institutions will have different approaches to things like science communication and environmental education. Um, exactly. Yeah. So in your answer to that, if you are, I'm imagining from the environmental education perspective, if you're talking a lot about, um, I don't know, building up deep spiritual connections with the natural world by immersing yourself in nature and that kind of thing, but you're trying to get an environmental education job at somewhere like the Natural History Museum, which is in central London, the education program there is not going to be able to offer that kind of experience because we're in the middle of london we just can't offer that kind of deep immersive experience in the same way that um you know a a 100 acre nature reserve would be able to offer where you you know their sessions are weekend or week-long camping experiences that kind of thing that's a very different context yeah. So doing a bit of research on the organization, I would think is is oh, my gosh, second 100%. tip.
1: Yes. A hundred percent. Research, research, research. Get in touch with, um, get in touch with your interviewer if you can. Um, they're, they're likely to be more than happy to chat with you, but get in touch with, with someone else on the team that, that if you can have a chat with them, sit down, have a coffee. Yeah. Find out, obviously you're going to research, you know, the role itself and, and the, the activities that the institution offers.
0: Yeah. And, um, if, if it is an, if you're, you know, it's public engagement, if you can get in and experience one of those public engagement experiences and then see if that, if the vibe fits you.
1: Definitely. Definitely.
0: Um, so the, uh, next interview basic that I have is something that you've you've touched on already is being really specific. And, and I would say to have concrete examples of experiences. So be prepared to be able to offer situations that you have experienced, the ways in which you've approached them. Um, so that interview panel gets a sense that it's not just that you have read somewhere that this is the right thing to do. You've actually done it before in the past.
1: Yes, definitely. You will have to have lots and lots of concrete examples of things like different approaches you've used to engage different audiences. You've got to be very, very specific.
0: The other thing that I find often gets missed out is a follow-up bit to that kind of answer, being specific about the way in which you handled something, but then something about how you know you handled that situation well. Is something that people very often miss, and it's that reflective element that can show an interview panel not just that you are experienced and capable, but also that you learn from the situation, new situations that you face.
1: You'll often be asked, you know, give us an example when you, you know, presented complex information, and, and, and how do you know that came across? Um, or you know, give an example of an education program you designed, and how do you know it was successful? Um, and it's very easy to just kind of go, oh yes, I did this, this, and this, and it was successful because of this, this, and this. But having that reflective, what would I have done differently next time, is super, super important. So yeah, showing that you know you you yeah you 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 can be reflective, you can learn from your past experiences and apply those in in different situations. Definitely, definitely.
0: Let's see other. General things. I think something that happened to me recently was just asking whether or not notes are okay to bring with you into an interview, and I think it's always worth asking if if you've got those notes. It's a good idea to make notes as well. Yes. I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. I recently had a, a candidate that um, asked if he could write down each of the questions as we asked them, and that was great. That was brilliant. It gave it, it gave him time to re- think and reflect. It, it made sure that he. Answered the question fully as well. Yep. Um, so yeah, I would say bring notes. And yeah, if, if you feel like you 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 need, you need need to take your time or you need to write down notes or you know, as that person did, write down the question. Um, it give you t- gives you time to reflect. Then then absolutely do it.
0: What are your thoughts on providing candidates with interview questions in advance? I I'm of the opinion that that's probably a good thing.
1: I yes, this is something that um yeah i've I've heard now happens, which I think is absolutely brilliant because yeah, it's it's giving our candidates every opportunity to to do do their best to show to show their best to shine, basically they can be properly prepared. So I think it's I think it's a great move, and I wish more more places did that to be honest
0: yeah, i I would think so as well. and especially in these kinds of in like a science communication role you're you take time to prepare yeah. beforehand in the role you don't just sort of it's,
1: Exactly you're not winging it. <laughs> it's very rare. Although I do remember one uh one interview I went to oh god it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done um is where they they said there's going to be a practical activity but they we're not going to give you any information about it. It's just going to be, you turn up on the day and you do it. And then literally, that's what it was. Literally, they before the interview, they sat me down in a room with a whole bunch of props and bits and bobs of information and said, right, you're going to deliver a piece of psychom using any of these, any that you want, pick an audience, giving you 10 minutes, come up with something, and then boom, you'll deliver it. And it was absolutely terrifying. Um, yeah. Yeah, two minutes of just internally screaming before I actually settled down to, to to kind of think, what am I doing? But for that particular role, you know, they what they were they were not looking for perfection. They were not looking for um, you know a, a perfect piece of of completely accurate psychom. They were looking at can you perform under pressure? Can you think on your feet? Because that was a big part of of that particular role um but yeah for i would say for for you know my role at the museum you know that's that's not what we do we we plan we prep um so it's it's kind of cruel to, <laughs> to, to put somebody in, in that position yeah yeah so yeah
0: although that that example that you gave it kind of goes back to that point of researching the organization and how they operate and what are the circumstances under which you'll be working because then you know to prepare in different ways because that's a very interesting point that to test how well someone does under pressure and thinks on their feet if you give them time to prepare to think on their feet like that doesn't quite work out I guess you can warn them that there's going to be an exercise you're going to be required to do this because we're looking at this I think I think that's kind of fair yeah Um, yeah
1: but going in completely cold Deary me.
0: scary. Yeah, no, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, Did you have any other sort of general interview tips?
1: Um, I would say um, really giving a lot of thought to the types of questions they might ask. and and, um, I mean, it's a a general interview tip, but having researched the organization and the the company, go a bit broader as well, I would say. Um, Look at the the sector slightly more widely and look Mm -hmm. at some of the... Some of the issues the, the current issues or the current hot topics uh in the sector at the moment and and you know have have that in the back of your mind or or prepare some uh some ways that you can you can show that you 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 have thought a bit more widely about that. Uh, the, the, the broader context, because um, one question we we threw out a candidate at um, an interview recently was we asked them, you know, what do you think are the challenges for learning and cycle at the museum? And the answer that one of the candidates give, gave, uh, one of the answers was absolutely brilliant because it covered, you know, internally, you know, learning, but it also covered uh, some of the issues for the wider museum section as well around EDI um, and you know the issues of uh, around decolonisation and how we you know uh, challenging our history and our narratives and things like that. So you know this person had really thought through um, and you know she she understood the context in which we were we were going to be working broadly but also specifically as well.
0: That's a really great tip for, um, I mean, for any sector that you're applying for. But in this kind of public engagement, in the environmental sector as well, it's moving ahead so quickly because it, you know, the sector responds a lot to the political situation. It responds Absolutely. a lot to new research that comes out, and um, it needs to respond to short term environmental shocks, like the recent heat wave that we had here in the UK, that's going to change the messaging that's out there for a little while. And bringing to your interview that you're aware of these things and being prepared to kind of weave that into the narrative of your answers is, is a good skill.
1: And then I would say quite a big part of our role is people and relationship management. We're kind of Dealing with a wide range of of very different stakeholders on a a daily basis, you know, we work with scientists, uh, you know, early career scientists, uh, ones that have been in the museum for 40 years. We work with other creatives, other science communicators. We work with other departments in the museum. So, yeah, relationship management is is a very big, important part of what we do and, and maintaining those positive relationships.
0: Yeah, that's important to keep in mind if you are a teacher looking to get into environmental education. Mm-hmm. Depending on the type of institution you're moving into, that will be a bigger, smaller part of the role. So uh, yeah. here at the Natural History Museum, our education team very much needs to work with all these other departments. Whereas if you're moving to um, a smaller nature reserve, even there, you will still need to work well with the reserve managers, their biodiversity officer, you'll need to consider probably quite different from a classroom where you're kind of, you're in charge of that classroom space. And, you know, you, you don't necessarily work, uh, interact too much with other sort of parts of the school. Whereas at an organization, suddenly you're finding yourselves needing to deal with lots of other stakeholders, even for something as simple as using a room, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> so, of, of a particular venue, they'll be in like hot demands. You know, if you want to book it out for your workshop or your whatever, you're going to need to fight it out with all these other people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that is so true. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, right. So that that leads us a, a bit into likely questions that you'll be asked and, and being prepared for those. So so in our context, you know, we, the museum has a really big uh, education program there's lots of formal school sessions the education team also handles lots of the informal programs for families and the general public and so being creative is going to be a really important mm-hmm. part of all of that so that would be one question i think to be prepared for is what's sort of the best or most creative thing that you've done something in that ballpark
1: definitely definitely um challenging situations how you've you've uh, yeah how you've coped with challenging situations something around the uh, particularly if you're if you're going to be in a role where you're working directly with with scientists you might get sort of scenario based questions so for example you're you're developing a a project uh, 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 or you're developing a a workshop with a scientist and, and that scientist wants to include some some terminology and some information that you feel isn't appropriate for the audience. How would you handle that situation? That that type of question is a is quite a good one to prep for.
0: Mm-hmm. And then I guess there's also the the flip side. You've got a member of the public who is um, I don't know. They've got a very different set of facts, quote unquote, facts that they're working from, or perhaps they're presenting something that's an opinion as a fact. Yes. How would you deal with that kind of situation?
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: Sort of along those lines, uh, especially in the at least in natural history, there's the question of how does uh, how do you deal with times when things like religion come into conflict with like teaching evolution? like mm-hmm. how would you deal with um, a faith school coming for an evolution session and having different views on that? That's an important question to be able to have an answer to, I think.
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you'll want to um, demonstrate dealing with different types of audiences, mixed audiences as well. You don't always, with some of our cycle stuff, you don't always know in advance who your audience is going to be. Being able to assess and, and pitch sort of on the fly uh, can be quite a useful tool. But yeah, um, experience of, of how you've delivered to different audiences in different situations. Also check how... Activities are delivered. Whether they're in person, are they digital? Because there are there are differences there in in approach. And yeah, definitely have a look at the different platforms and things that your the institution uses, yeah. um, and be prepared to answer specific questions around around those and digital versus in person.
0: Yeah, and that's where I think um, going. I guess going back to an interview basic is don't be afraid to ask clarifying questions of your interview yes. so that you understand the context that the interviewer is expecting you to answer from. Recently, in some interviews, the candidates were asked how you would manage difficult behavior uh, in a school session or disruptive behavior. And I got a lot of answers that were really good for a classroom setting, all about, you know, getting down to the child's level and understanding where they're coming from, setting in place a behavior plan, like loads of things that, made for a really, really excellent classroom answer, but were not suitable for our context because those classroom answers would amount to like 10, 15 minutes conversation with one student. And at the Natural History Museum, our education sessions are 45 minutes long. So you just Mm -hmm. cannot use that particular type of strategy uh, to manage disruptive behavior in this context. So you need to bring a different set of strategies um, to, to play. And so that, that, I guess, goes back to making sure that you do your research onto the institution. And also, don't be afraid to ask for clarification from your interviewers of what the scenario is, like what the situation is.
1: Definitely, definitely. Because it is, it's a very different context, of, of a very different delivery context. Um, your Some of your interactions may be... 10 15 minutes on gallery with a you know with a wide variety of people so that yeah the, there's a whole range of different people management techniques that you 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 may or may not be able to use depending on the situation so it's yeah it's it's it goes back to doing your homework doing your research really understanding the types of activities that um, the institution offers speaking to to team members if you can see any of their activities, then, then do so. And so you can get a real sense of, of uh, the, the delivery context and what is and isn't going to be appropriate.
0: Yeah. Do so you have an example of what would be a different approach that would happen in, uh, say, an online science communication uh, experience versus an, an in-person one? So I guess we'll use the the science lives as an example, or the, the nature lives. So that's where you've got a scientist in the studio, and you're essentially doing an extended interview. And that the museum has done in two different formats. Now we've done it in person in the Attenborough studio. So you've got a live studio audience there. And then we've done it streamed online to places like YouTube and Facebook. So there's the comment section there. What are the differences in presenting these two different formats?
1: So they, they are, they are very different. And I think we were initially quite surprised at how different they were. Just what a big difference it makes not having your audience in the room, not getting that direct kind of feedback. You're not making eye contact with them. Um, the only contact you have with your, with your audience is a little chat window at the side where comments are popping up, um, in the, in the online version. So, so yeah, they are very different kind of presenter experiences and they they have their their pros and their cons so with the in-person studio events you've got your audience right there you can see them it's great you can vibe off them but when it comes to asking questions you d- you have no idea what they're going to ask <laughs> so you're literally throwing yourself to the wolves <laughs> almost they could literally ask anything they will often do the classic of it's I've got more of a statement than a question that that type of thing and you just have to go with it you have to to manage it in the situation uh whereas online you, you're not getting that feedback it's harder to make that connection with the audience but when it comes to questions and and managing those you already know in advance you can see in advance what's come up and you can you can kind of Pick and choose, um, and you can also. What we found was really, really helpful was having a little moderator sitting in the chat to respond directly uh, when needed. So you've got a little backup there, but, but also it, then it also allowed you to concentrate on on your, on your presenting and and trying to make that connection with the audience, which is a lot lot harder on a little tiny screen. So you have to you have to go a bit bigger basically when you are presenting um, online. You have to be you, but just a little bit more. Um, So, yeah, they are. They are different experiences. They're different audience management techniques that you will use.
0: I can imagine even for something like um cues from the audience of whether or not they understand you or not. Like Yes,
1: yeah, absolutely. Because you can see you can see, you know, if something's not going over, you can see that sea of blank faces. And so you've got that immediate, oh, I need to change tech, or I need to rephrase, or I need to or I need to up the pace a little bit. I can see they're wilting a little bit, they're we're losing them. So what can we do to to kind of get them back? Um so so yeah, you're you're constantly sort of modifying on on the fly but you don't have that with a with a online audience so it's 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 a lot harder in that respect um but but you can what's often good is that you can you can monitor the comments and you can monitor the little reactions that you'll often get as well mm-hmm. that can be a bit of an indicator of okay people are still there people are still enjoying it and they they're still engaging with it but it's it's much, much harder.
0: Next situation, I guess, is you've just been asked a question by your the interviewers, and you do not have a direct experience in which to answer it. Any thoughts on strategy for approaching that kind of situation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that and that may well happen. That's definitely happened to me before. I think it's a case of thinking about the skills that they're try the interview is trying to get at, um, rather than the the specific kind of situation. So think about the skills necessary to to handle that scenario and think about a, a, a different type of experience you have that use those skills that you could then apply in order to respond to that, that question.
0: And I think being aware that it, if that is coming up and if that's the strategy you're needing to use to answer the question, the fact that you are going to be giving the interviewers a, a very perhaps creative and out of left field example um exactly. and so the the experience that i remember is very early on in my career being asked a question about um teamwork skills and like what's the situation in which you needed to like use some teamwork skills and the ex- the example that i had to to mind was back in high school i used to do like cooking dinner parties with friends where we would all get together and like Put together a meal, essentially, and so there was a lot of stuff going on in a very small space. So we needed to be very organized. We needed to delegate tasks. We need to uh, organize the timings of things so everything became kind of ready at the same time. And these are all teamwork skills. Um, but that is probably not the kind of thing that your uh, interview interviewers are, are going to be thinking about. <laughs> so after you give your wacky example, you need to explain. <laughs> How it is that that demonstrated the skills that would be useful in the situation that they actually did ask you about?
1: <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and that is a skill in itself. So yeah, I think <laughs> I think yeah that that's more impressive if you if you can give a, a valid example that isn't.
0: <laughs> I mean, don't be afraid to get creative. This is true. It's yeah, it's better, yeah, better than saying mm, I don't know.
1: Oh, uh, definite, definitely. And you might find yourself, you know, using the same examples time and again to answer different questions. So actually, it's, it's often quite nice to to vary it a little bit and just draw on some of your other experiences that, oh, well, you know, they might not be exactly um, the same situation, but they will, w- you know, employ the same skills.
0: That's true, actually. And it shows off um, the kind of diversity of experience. Exactly. Next steps. So we're now after the interview, and we've heard back from them that uh, we've not been successful, what would you say is the next step?
1: I would please do contact your interviewers and ask them for direct feedback and for detailed feedback as well. And, And most institutions will be very happy to give you, I'm always really happy to give detailed feedback. You know, what questions did I do well on what? What did I not cover so well? What was missing? What could I improve on in the future? Um, get that detailed feedback because you can then apply it to the the next interview. And I, I have colleagues that have, you know, been in exactly the situation, and I've been in it myself. Get that feedback, and the next time, you you know, I have a colleague that did just that, and and the next role was successful.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if especially if you've made it through to the interview phase, often places are pretty happy to give you give you some feedback there. Um, And then the next step after that, I would say is, um, even if you haven't managed to get feedback, just think back on the interview experience and those questions that you kind of struggled to think of an example for, and then seek out opportunities to gain those experiences Mm -hmm. to fill those those gaps. Um, and so that could be in the form of volunteering, or maybe it's in the form of just at your existing job, whatever it is. Maybe you ask for slightly different responsibilities to sort of round out your your experiences. And in terms of volunteering, I think it can be challenging to find the right kinds of volunteer um, experiences. However, some of those opportunities might be something like, greeting schools as they come into whatever the institution is, or monitoring the lunch area to make sure schools are um, sitting at the right tables at the right times. And those are kinds of interactions with schools where it's perhaps harder to turn that into teaching relevant experiences. Um, So if you're finding that the places you're looking for volunteer experiences, that's all they have, consider going to smaller and more local institutions.
1: Definitely. Smaller institutions are often uh, great because you you may have the opportunity to get involved in a wider range of, of different activities. Their, their working practices tend to be less siloed than bigger institutions. So you might be able to try all sorts of different things. I mean, I've worked in a smaller museum uh, in the past and I you know was doing all sorts of things beyond my specific job role. I was getting b- involved in exhibitions and events um, so, so yeah, smaller institutions, you know, it's not always about the big name is it? it's, it's, it's about the experience that you gain from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, I think that's it. It's about the experience and the skills that you're main, m- able to get from it. And then, as you said, usually at a small institution, there's a bit more variety, uh, in a particular role, just because there's fewer people to do the jobs, So everyone yeah. has to do more different <laughs> jobs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, so the the next thing after that, I think, would be to keep up to date in your field. Yeah, keep looking around, keep up to date in the professional knowledge as well as the content knowledge. Uh, I think that's a pitfall in science and environmental education is often when you keep up to date, you kind of you're keeping up to date with what research is coming out. You know, what new things are scientists discovering, and that's all really great because it's I mean, it's fascinating stuff but what people can forget to do is also keep up on where's the profession going. So, you know, like Mm -hmm. what are, what's the latest research showing our effective teaching practices, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, Definitely, definitely. And, and keeping up with what other um, institutions are doing similar, but also outside of the, of of the sector as well. Um, Yeah. Just, just keeping an eye on what other people are doing is, is, is really, really useful as well. I, I've got a whole bunch of um, museums and science centers and galleries and things just bookmarked, basically. And every now and again, I just kind of check in and and see, what are they doing? (laughs) What are they up to? and (laughs) Is there anything that we could do that we're not not already doing? And uh, following social media channels as well. Um, Yeah.
0: For science communication, I find um, Twitter is actually quite good. Twitter
1: is brilliant. There are so many great science communicators out there actually on 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 twitter particularly um and instagram and so yeah follow them see what they're up to reach out to them um chat to them you know find out about their career what they're up to how they got to where they they were what their experiences were um yes and it's you know all, all useful contacts yeah
0: absolutely did you have any other um go-to places for keeping up to date with um science communication
1: I love the, the SciComm jobs board, um, which is a whole mishmash of not just jobs. Um, they also post training sessions, they post conferences, they post all sorts of, of, of random things. Often it will be a, a science communicator who's got a question or they've got a project that they want a bit of advice on. And so they will post on this board and then um, everyone will kind of weigh in with their tips. Um, and tricks so it's it's a yeah it's a it's a mishmash um and you'll you, you'll have to be a bit selective when you first sign up because you'll you'll get bombarded with, with emails but you're over time you'll kind of uh, learn how to refine but it's yeah it's a great resource
0: yeah um other places that i like to look are actually google scholar is kind of great you know, because you can see which um, articles are free to access, <laughs> yes. which is <laughs> yes. so you can sort of keep up, vaguely up to date. And then you'll you'll come to know there's a couple like open source journals out there. Like I think it's the Canadian Journal of Environmental Education is just free open. Um, so you can keep up to date a little bit in, in that way. And don't forget that you often have alumni privileges at your institution's library. Yes,
1: that's true.
0: <laughs> don't forget that yeah I came back to um, the place where I got my master's like a couple years after the fact and I remember I was needing to find articles and then I remembered wait I'm an alumni of somewhere surely that gets me something and indeed it got me access to JSTOR so <laughs> and tap your, your friends who might still be in school for whatever because they will have yeah. even more access absolutely yeah. <laughs> And the last things that I wanted to to give some shout outs to are a couple podcasts that are really great for um, education generally, and then from those you take out tidbits that are useful in you know in your own context. So there's a uh, Cult of Pedagogy is just absolutely phenomenal. That's a great education podcast, and then Teaching in Higher Ed is the other one that are they're just like my go tos to find really useful and evidence based teaching practices and keeping up to date. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Alison, for this. We've covered loads of ground and I, I hope um, folks find it useful.
1: Yeah, I hope so. It's been an absolute pleasure and I, you know, I, I love what I do and um, love sharing it. And uh, yeah, I would highly encourage um, anyone who's interested in in, in to to pursue it. It's a, it's a, fantastic career it's it's a lot of work it's kind of crazy um but it's 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 also wonderful at the same time and if you are someone that likes variety and likes you know science in the broadest sense of the word (laughs) you can you know one day i'm talking about meteorites the next day i'm talking about you know whales it's i get to dip into all kinds of fascinating topics on a, you know, a daily, or weekly basis. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah.
0: Well, it's been really wonderful talking to you, Alison. Thank you very much for coming on the show.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me.
0: That was my interview with Alison Sheen. For the show notes, which as always includes links to related resources and more in depth reading, visit the podcast website at knowingnaturepodcast.wordpress.com. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like covered, please do get in touch. Uh, You can do that by email at knowingnaturepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at kn underscore podcast. And that's it for this episode. Thanks very much for listening.